0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Let's pray together. Father, it is good for us to be here. Thank you for the privilege of fellowship, the privilege of a building that houses us and and houses us well. Thank you for all of the blessings you give us, the comforts. Uh, But more than that, we thank you for the spiritual blessing it is to be in Christ to have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can come alongside of and come alongside of us for the sake of encouragement and strength and pointing each other to the Savior. We thank you for the privilege we have to sing your praise and to meditate on your word. We pray that you'd help us to draw near to you. And we know that if uh, we draw near to you by your grace, you draw near to us in your kindness. Help us as we consider your word that we would allow you to have your proper place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, for a few minutes, I want you to relive with me the last three Super Bowl appearances of the New England Patriots. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some good, some good, some bad, and some ugly, ugly. 2007, 2008, 18 wins and zero losses. Just a couple of minutes left in the game, the Patriots are winning, 14 to 10. And just to torture myself a little bit, I watched this catch one more time today. A man named David Tyree, 54 catches in his NFL career. Now just to put this in perspective, good receivers like Wes Welker, like Julian Edelman, like Calvin Johnson, like Jerry Rice have 54 catches in a half a season. This guy had 54 in his whole NFL career. And the last catch of his NFL career took place in the Super Bowl in 2008. And it looked like this. strapped it on his helmet like Velcro. (laughs) It was the most improbable of catches. And thus went away the undefeated season of the New England Patriots. And he never played another game again. And he was not old. Just tells you, just unlikely. Just a few years later, 2011-2012, Patriots are playing against the New York Giants again. Another pass, sailing down the sideline, Mario Manningham, in between two defenders, outstretched arm, right at the sideline, catches this improbable catch. Earlier in that same game, Wes Welker dropped a pass that he would catch. 95 out of 100, probably 99 out of 100 times. That would have sealed the game. Mm. And then, 2015... Patriots are winning this game that they shouldn't be winning. And they're finally winning, and, and and then at the last second, this crazy catch like you've never seen, bobbling around, and the guy's laying on his back. Jermaine Curse makes this improbable catch, and you just have this feeling, No! It can't be! It can't happen this way again! And then... At the last second, the interception by Malcolm Butler. So what you have here is from exuberance to disappointment, and for those that are really, really into it, despair. (laughs) From thrilled to disbelief. It can't be happening again. And then, from disbelief, this last year, was like, no way. it's It's like... The the, the football small g gods are against us. It's going to happen the same way again. This improbable comeback every single time. It can't happen this way. From disbelief to exhilaration. I just want you to think about these things. These are emotions that are based upon our circumstances. If you're a Giants fan, you went from, Oh, we lost. I can't believe it. Well, we should have lost. It's really not that bad. But we lost to... Wow, we pulled that one out. So like from 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 one kind of negative emotion to a very positive one two times. If you're a Patriots fan, from very positive to very negative really fast, two times. And then you flip the script in 2015 from oh no to oh yes. This is what happens when we live by our emotions. We experience this on a day-to-day basis because things go our way one day. So we're happy. Things go against us another day, so we're not. This is the problem of living by our circumstances. So, here we are in Philippians chapter 4. We want to see what the text is for today as we look a little further at what it takes for a church to be a steadfast assembly. An assembly that that stays solid, that stays consistent, that, that, that stands for truth, regardless of what's going on. Uh, a, an assembly that... No matter what is thrown at it, it stands with and through Jesus. The first one we looked at a couple of weeks ago was unity. Today we have in verse 4 rejoicing. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. What does it say? Always. Again, in case you didn't get it the first time, I will say rejoice. Very simple. It's very simple. There's nothing complicated about this passage except except doing it. (laughs) Am I right? Like, it's very simple to understand. But anything that's always is not easy for us. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. The term rejoice is to be joyful. Shocker. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Joy, friends, is a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit works joy in the heart of a believer. Now the difference between joy... And rejoicing is just minor. The joy is the inner working of joy. Rejoicing is the externalization of that joy. So joy that starts inside. And joy can probably be seen in the countenance, right? But rejoicing goes beyond the countenance to an externalization so that people can see the joy or hear the joy, it's almost like we call it praise or adoration or testifying. This is what rejoicing is. Let's, let's hold our hand in Philippians. Not that you have to memorize. Uh, have don't have that memorized. So, Actually, don't hold your hand in Philippians. We've got it down, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So we know what the verse says. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 13 for a moment. I want to see just for a moment the externalization The turning outward of joy in an external manner so that others can see it. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 12. It's always a happy thing when the second word in the verse is Jesus. It says in verse 12, Therefore Jesus also... That he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Speaking about the, in similarity to the, the sacrifices and the remnants being taken outside the gate. Jesus was taken outside the gate. Therefore, verse 13, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city. But we seek the One, the continuing city. We seek the One to come. Seek ye first the Kingdom of God. Set your affection on things above. We seek that city, we seek that Kingdom, we seek that dwelling place to come. Verse 15, Therefore, by Him, there is grace, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to His name. The word giving thanks is the word for confessing. Confessing His name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He's just telling us a bit about Jesus and His suffering and our going out to Him, being willing to bear His reproach, going to all of the people, going with the word, going with the testimony of Christ, Proclaiming His name. Proclaiming His name. This is the externalization of joy. Joy is an internal. Rejoicing is externalizing it. So the joy that we have in Jesus should be turned outside to praising and rejoicing so that people can see the joy that is ours in Jesus. This is vital for the Christian life. For us to have an internalized joy, and it doesn't go beyond that internalized joy to to an externalization where people can see and hear and feel and experience that rejoicing that comes from the Lord Jesus. We are not experiencing that joy rightly. We are not then expressing that joy rightly. We are not then sharing that joy with others. This is the rejoicing that Paul is calling us to. Rejoice in the Lord always, always. And again I say rejoice. He's telling us to take that joy and bring it to the outside for everyone to see. Now he's talking to, to the Philippians about the church, right? And so we come into the church and we're, we're rejoicing together. So we're testifying together of all that God's doing. That, that can take place around those dinner tables. I want you to think about that for a second. When we have these Wednesday night meals, we have a fellowship dinner on a Sunday, we have an ice cream thing after a church service, whatever the case may be, the the words on our lips should be designed, and they should be by Him, they should be Spirit-filled, but they should be rejoicing. There should be a sharing of what God is doing. This is the beauty of coming together. We are worn down all week long by all manner of issues, whether it is in our houses, in our workplaces, as we turn on the news, we read about, about people falling into sin that you think you, know, you want them to stand and, and, you, and you feel sad for them and for the testimony that, that comes. These things, it beats us down. When we come together... Brothers and sisters, when we come together, we need to lift one another up. We need to rejoice in the Lord. No, you may not have a word of rejoicing. Well, you know what? It may just be that someone else is going to come alongside of you and they should be bringing that word of rejoicing. And you know what will happen? Because we are tied together and knit together in love, Their rejoicing becomes your rejoicing. Their glory becomes your glory. Just like someone's weeping becomes your weeping. Now that doesn't mean we we end it with weeping, but we weep with them and then we we give them the word of rejoicing. We give them the, the good news that we have. We remind each other. Because when we're in those times of difficulty, don't we need to be reminded of all the goodness that has come our way through Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now let's note a few concepts here from Philippians 4. Again, you don't need to turn back there because you've got it down. Our rejoicing is God's will. True or false? True. How do you know? Because <laughs> he said it, right? I have a question for you. When the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, is that law or is that grace? Grace. False. You're wrong. God just told you to do something. That's a demand. Wherever you see God saying, do this, it's law. The law is not bad. The law is good to those that use it rightly. To understand when God commands, we see law, but with that law, it has the background and the undergirding of grace. Wherever God demands something, He supplies what's necessary to fulfill that something. So when we see rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, I can guarantee you there are going to be times in your life you're going to feel like, I don't, I'm not rejoicing. And someone says to you, hey, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and you're going to feel like a heathen. That's what the law does to us. The law points out our insufficiencies and our inadequacies. Because the Bible says, "Rejoice in the Lord always," it doesn't mean that that law can actually fulfill its own prescription. The law demands; it always demands, and it only demands. It cannot bring about the demand. We understanding what I'm saying? Grace, grace takes that demand. It meets that demand. It fulfills that demand. It carries us through that demand. And it brings forth praise to Almighty God. There is a command here. It says rejoice. That's law. But God gives us the grace that we need to fulfill that law. Remember in Romans chapter 8, that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. The law is fulfilled in us. Whether it be a, a, a law that we say, oh, th- "Well, this is this is Old Testament law. This is the Mosaic law." Well, this is the Ten Commandments, and that's law. Well, what about the new the New Testament? There are six hundred and thirteen commands in the Mosaic law, and there are one thousand and fifty commands in the New Testament. It's law there, and it's Law here. It's law all over the place. Except, when we understand that God doesn't order our lives by the law, but orders our lives by grace, that's when we understand, okay, if I'm not rejoicing, I have disconnected myself from that grace that brings forth that rejoicing. I've disconnected myself from the grace that meets the demand of rejoicing. Are we clear here on what I'm saying? Okay, so our rejoicing is God's will, it is a demand. Secondly, our rejoicing is to be in God. It says, Rejoice in the Lord. Let me just bring a few passages of Scripture to your mind. You'll recognize most of them. Psalm 33 1. God's Word says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise is fitting for the upright. Praise is the externalization of joy, right? So we've got joy inside, and rejoicing that comes outside, that's praise. Praise befits the upright. Later on in the same psalm, Psalm 33 Verse 21, God's Word says this, For our heart is glad in Him. It's glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. This is the great thing, friends. When you know God, when you know Jesus, when you know what God has done, you can't help but bring forth praise to Him. Because you think about you, it's not joy and rejoicing. If you look at you, and you bring forth joy and rejoicing, you really have to examine yourself. When we look at ourselves, we should abhor ourselves and repent in dust and ashes. Paul said, in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Not one thing good dwells in me. But, in Christ, it's all different. We've put off the old. We've put on the new. We can rejoice in Him. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul made this great statement to the Galatian church, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He told the Corinthian church, so that no man or no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts do what? Boast in in the Lord. That is the greatest privilege that we have. Joy comes from the Spirit. Rejoicing comes from the Spirit. When we are in the Spirit, both joy is present in the heart and rejoicing proceeds from the lips. A little further here, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you don't need to turn there, you're familiar with the passage. Verses 4 and 5, God's Word says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as, for, as coming from us. But our sufficiency is of God. Our sufficiency is from God. So, our rejoicing is commanded. Okay? So it's, it's, it's God's will and it's the law. Our rejoicing is to be in God. Thirdly, our rejoicing is to be continuous. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now I'll remind you of just a few things here. Head back to Philippians chapter 1, please. Remind you of a few things. First of all, remind you of what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Now I don't take this kind of a discussion lightly because we've all grieved. We've all grieved over the death of someone we love. We've all grieved over the sin of someone that we love. We've all grieved over our own sin. At least, I I hope, we've all grieved over our own sin. We've grieved about circumstances, financial, physical, emotional, spiritual. We've grieved about all these kinds of things. So I don't take it lightly to, to say, hey, listen, friends, God is telling you, and he's telling me that we are to always rejoice. I don't take that lightly because we've all experienced the opposite of rejoicing. But I also recognize, friends, that this is God's word. And it's right. Even if my experience even if my emotions, even if everything within me says, no, 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 no. Now, when we're sitting in here on these wonderful chairs in this wonderfully cool basement, it's it's easy to talk about rejoicing in the Lord for me to feel it welling up inside of me. I can I can feel it literally in from the from the inside from one cell to the next from the bottom of my toes to the top of my head I can feel joy and rejoicing when I'm talking about it. I really can It's easy in this context It's when we get out into the difficulty that joy and rejoicing is not quite so easy because we live in a real world filled with real problems and real sin and real pain. And so to talk about it is easy. To see it at work is divine. Which is why we have to know that the command, rejoice in the Lord, always, and again I say rejoice, is in fact law It is in fact, ready? Impossible. For you. And for me. Except. By the grace of God. This is why we preach the gospel. Every time we're together. Because the gospel rescues us. From the demands of the law and it fulfills the demands of the law. I can use gospel, and I can use grace, and I can use them interchangeably, because it's his ability, and my inability. It's my sin, in exchange for his righteousness. It's the same. It's salvation or justification, it's sanctification. It's glorification. It's all salvation. It's all gospel. It's all grace. So, I wonder how much trembling was going through the hand of the Apostle Paul when he wrote such a demand as this. What is his context? Where is he? This is a prison epistle, friends. This is a prison epistle. Take a look at Philippians chapter 1. And verse 12. He says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the Gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and in this I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. I will rejoice Amen. where is he in prison and there are these people outside of prison and they're preaching christ and some of them are doing it to kind of rub it into him and some of them are doing it the right reason and what he says is hey christ is preached and there are so many pastors and so many churches that worry about what other churches are doing and how they're doing it, and they're like critical of every little thing that every other church is doing, why don't we just keep our mouth shut about other churches? Is it really any of our business what any other church does? And if they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, shouldn't we rejoice even if they don't do everything just the way we think it ought to be done? Do we not think that God is capable of caring for His own people? I think He is. I think He can take care of them better than I can. Better than you can. Better than their own pastor can, right? We are just under shepherds. Like, I want to shepherd you. I want to do the best I can to shepherd you. I'll only shepherd people that want to be shepherded, people that don't want to be shepherded. I can't shepherd them. We've experienced that many times. You try to invest in someone, they don't want your advice. After that, what are you going to do? You can't shepherd someone that doesn't want to be shepherded. So I say, okay, Lord, they're yours. The same thing is we we look at people, and well, these people do this when they preach the gospel, and so we're going to shun that. You know what? Let's just keep our mouth shut about other people. Let's preach Christ. Paul's in prison and he's got these people, some of them preaching for the right reasons, some for the wrong reasons, but Christ is preaching, he's rejoicing while he's in prison. Look at chapter 2, please, verse 17. He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice that I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. Is that rejoicing the Lord always? Does he know what it means to suffer? He says, I know how to be abased. I know how to be abounding everything, everywhere, and in all states, I have learned to be what? Content. Content. He he knows. He's experienced it. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment. Hebrews 10. Again, I'm not taking this lightly at all, and I'm not taking whatever you're going through lightly at all. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying, hey, listen, your problems are no big deal. You should just suck it up and get over it. What I said, if you listened, is it's impossible outside of God's supernatural, almighty power, what we call grace. It's impossible. And we have another impossibility. Here's Paul in prison. And it's, it's impossible what he's doing. Only grace has allowed this. We have another example. We've got this, this group of, of Jewish believers who have been persecuted So much so that they they lost their homes. Listen to what the Bible says about them. Verse 32 of Hebrews 10. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, listen carefully, and, what does it say? Joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Brother? Sister? That's impossible. That's impossible. Nobody has their goods taken from them, stripped of all of their stuff, and is joyful. Just remember this. We serve the God of the impossible. Do you you believe that? I do. I do. Do you know Him? Do you believe He's supernatural? Do you believe He said, let there be light and there was light? Do you believe He commanded and it stood fast? He spoke the world into existence. He breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living spirit. Do you believe that He took dead people and made them alive? Do you believe this? I believe in the God of the impossible. This is my God. These people joyfully took the plundering of their goods. You can't do that but by the grace of God. Listen to part of the rationale that they had. What God taught them in the process of their suffering. It says in verse 34, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves. Where? In heaven. heaven. Why? Why joyfully? Well, because God's grace enabled it, and because we know there's something better. It's what it says in the next chapter as well. Hebrews 11, take a look at verses 9 and 10. By faith he, Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for what? the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God look at verse 15 and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out they would have had opportunity to return but now they desired a better that is a heavenly country therefore God is not ashamed to call, be called their God for he has prepared a city for them what kind of a city are we talking about? Listen, friends, we all like our homes. Maybe we don't like our homes as much as we'd like to, but we, we like what we have. We, we, act, we understand that we've been blessed. Don't you? Yes. If you don't know that you've been blessed, you really need to visit a third world country. We've been blessed. But there's something so much better. Incomparable is what our home in heaven is. Which is why Paul told us, and you may have heard this recently, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You know, the Lord Jesus, of course, not only is he our Savior and our High Priest and our Advocate and, and, and so many other things, he is our example. Now, he is not just an example. That's not his primary function. But in addition to all of the other roles that he has, he is also an example. And in Hebrews chapter 12, you're in 11, take a look at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 now. He serves as an example of this very concept of our rejoicing is to be continuous. It says in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, whatever that race may be, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured what? I know we know the passage. I know that you knew where I was going with this, but we need to think about this. He joyfully endured the cross. There is nothing joyful about the cross. It's, it's the opposite of joyful. It's foolishness to the Greeks. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It is a humiliation to Him. It was painful... It was emotional and it was spiritual. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it tells us he endured the cross with joy. How does that happen? Only by grace. Now Jesus happened to be, Jesus is God. And so he is grace and truth. The fullness of grace and truth. And so he had, because he is grace, to endure the cross with joy. Our rejoicing is commanded. It's law. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. Our rejoicing is to be continuous. Our rejoicing is to be emphasized. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. We need that reminder. God doesn't waste ink. Again, I will say Rejoice. We needed that reminder. If we are not rejoicing in the Lord, we are not exhibiting the second fruit of the Spirit. You see, we look at the supernatural and we think, okay, God spoke the world into existence. That's supernatural. Yes, it is. And we think, Jesus allowed Peter to walk in the water. And that's supernatural. And it is. And Jesus healed the lame man, and the the blind man, and the deaf person, and the mute. And those are all miraculous things. Those are supernatural acts. Those are. And and sometimes we, we limit our understanding of supernatural to those things that we can't do. It is also... Supernatural, when God produces joy in a sinner's heart. That, friends, is supernatural. Joy in your heart. Joy in my heart. That's called grace. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's God's work. Two passages of Scripture and we'll be done. Ephesians 5. I don't know what you guys have heard about, and if you even know who Billy Graham's grandson is or not, but he preaches a message of grace and the gospel, and he fell. He, he, he didn't allow the grace of God to control him at a particular time, and he sinned in a very way that made it public, and now he's no longer in the ministry, and people now are shooting at his message. As if the message is the problem. And the message, friends, is not the problem. The fact that we're humans, that's the problem. And when we don't yield ourselves to the grace of God, that's the problem. It's not the message. The message is true or it's false. It's not true or false... Based upon someone's measure of how it worked out. If the Bible speaks clearly, we say amen. And that's the end of the statement. Not, well, if you give them too much grace, well, if we're really we focus on the gospel that much, no. Friends, God's word is true. We see what it says, and we say Amen. Look at this passage. It's going to tell us the source, in addition to Galatians 5 that I have made references to, the fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, it's going to give us the source of joy and rejoicing. It says in verse 18 of Ephesians 5 And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What happens? What happens when you're filled with the Spirit? There are two two commands. One is a negative don't be drunk with wine. One is positive. Be filled with the Spirit. As you get to verse 19, 20, and 21, these are not commands. These are the results of those commands. Don't be drunk. Be filled. Here's what will happen. It's not saying, now go do this. This is what will happen. Speaking to one another in Psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Give thanks, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is the result of spirit filled living. What will happen is we will sing praise to God. That is the externalization of joy. That's praise. And he tells us about joy too. Because we'll be singing with melody in our hearts. There's internal impact and there's external impact. From whom? The Spirit of God who is the agent of grace. Take a look at Colossians 3 please. I hope that my countenance matches the joy inside. Um, There's a little passion with this topic because we have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, we have to understand that we cannot just conjure up joy because we want to. And I can't whip up a doozy and make you joyful. It is supernatural all day, every day. It's not because we heard a message. It's not because someone told us something neat. It's always a work of the Spirit in the heart of His people. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. We're cutting into the context and we're going to be really diving into this in the next couple of weeks in our morning messages. But above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. Listen. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Who's working here? Who? That's grace, right? We're talking about grace here. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to have dominion in your hearts, be the king in your hearts, to which also you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly in all wisdom. What will happen if I let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly? Like when I allow the Spirit of God to fill me. What will happen? I'll be teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing. How? With grace. What is is grace again? God's working. Grace is God's working singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him we have a parallel from Ephesians 5 to Colossians 3. And here's what it is. We've got the Spirit doing this work and there's joy and rejoicing. There's thanksgiving. There's there's an inner song and there's the submission of one another. Here in this passage, we have God dwelling in us, God working in us, His Word richly dwelling in us, meaning abundantly, a lot of the Word dwelling in us. There's a, a preponderance of the Word dwelling in us, filling us, and we... Teach and admonish in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is that, friends? That's rejoicing. What else happens? Singing with grace, where? In your hearts. To whom? The Lord! Rejoice in the Lord! Always, and again, I say, rejoice. Who is doing all of this? God is. Is there a demand? Yes. Rejoice in the Lord always. And what do you say when when you feel low? And you will. You say, oh, I, I better rejoice. I don't say this. I, I, I it comes out the wrong way, but I don't mean it. I mean it. In, in sincerity good luck good luck to you if you just tell yourself well I better rejoice you, you will not rejoice you can't whip yourself up into a frenzy of rejoicing just because you tell yourself you need to that friends is flesh what do you do when you feel like that? What do I do? I say, dear God, I am wretched. And I am discouraged. I am I'm disappointed. I'm down. I feel like really bad. I feel bad. This is not the way a spirit-filled believer feels. Something is wrong with me. I'm not right. And I'm not Feeling okay about that, friends. I don't feel okay that I feel so low. Because I know the demand of God says to rejoice. And I'm not rejoicing in that moment. And so I say, dear God, I need your help. I don't feel like rejoicing. I feel like bad. I feel like trash. So I confess my sin. And I ask Him to fill me with the Spirit. And sometimes I feel, still feel bad. And so what do I do? I say, dear God, I'm a miserable person. I'm not right. This isn't acceptable to you. This isn't what you want. I need your help. And what do I do if I don't feel better?